If you have your Bibles with you, open up with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 today. Just two verses. Read along with me. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. And we thank you for this blessed time we can have, Lord, to be taught of you, to be taught by you. We just ask that your spirit would now be working upon our hearts, that you would use me to convey your truth to my brothers and sisters here, and that the name of our Lord and our Saviour would be lifted up in this place. Father, we thank you um, for the blessedness of having your word before us, Lord. We just thank you for that. We thank you for the freedom we have also to look into it in this way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With any journey you take in life, the path you take will be determined by the destination you want to get to. Right? So the goal you where you want to end up will determine which road you take. For instance, if I want to get to Sydney by car, I will quite easily just go out here and just go straight up Sydney Road and head all the way up there. I might go and then deviate and get on the Hume Freeway that way. But generally, it's the, where you want to end up determines which path you end up taking. Likewise, depending on which room you want to enter, enter will be determined by the, the door you open will be determined by the room you want to enter. For instance, if I open up a door to my bathroom, I shouldn't expect to find a lounge room in there, should I? No. It's a pretty common and basic uh, understanding or basic concept. In our lives, though, um, we're faced with many choices, aren't we? You probably go through or make about a dozen or a hundred choices each and every day. Some of those are insignificant, some of those are more important. But our lives, the path we take is generally determined by the choices that we make. And these choices determine which door I go through. See, in all of life, you, you have certain doors presented to you, which are, we'll call them opportunities. And then, by choice, you open up a particular door and begin to walk through. Because, in your mind, you want to get to a certain destination. There's a certain end to where you want to go. You have something in your mind. So it determines which door. So if you think this door leads me to happiness, then I will go through that door. If you're thinking about career or success or whatever else it is in your life, when you have a number of options before you, you will choose a door that you believe will take you to your destination. So all these choices determine which door I must go through. And the door, or the gate, as it mentions in this passage over here, will automatically determine the path. 
You see, where the, where the gate opens, the path is already there presented beyond that gate or that door. The choices you make will determine your life and they will also determine where you will spend eternity. Today, there's an admonition that Jesus gives us. There's a warning that Jesus gives and he says, Enter ye in, right at the beginning there, at the straight gate. And we'll be looking at, the, at that, that challenge to us and that, uh, that warning, in a sense, that Jesus is giving to us uh, throughout this particular um, sermon. Now, turn, turn with me to, to the Gospel of Luke, because a very similar thing is said in Luke. You, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Matthew that's repeated in Luke, and it's Luke chapter 13, verse 23 and 24. In the, gospel, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives a similar answer to a... He gives it as a response to a question that someone asked of him. And in verse 23 it says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. So in the Gospel of Luke, the same caution comes after a rather direct question. Are there only a few that will be saved? And in a nutshell, what I want you to keep in mind throughout this sermon today is Jesus' response in both Luke and Matthew is that there will only be few. Many, many, the vast majority of people will choose hell over heaven. They will choose the wide gate over the narrow one. Unfortunately, there will only be a few that will be saved. So Jesus warns with that in mind. Jesus gives a warning. And he basically says, enter ye to straight gate. In verse, in verse 24 of Luke, Luke, he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. Put effort. Fight struggle to find that gate and enter into it. It's not necessarily an easy thing, one, to find and two, to enter. Because many, in the end, will want to enter. enter. And if you look at the context of the Luke passage, it will be too late for most of them. They will, they will knock and they will say, can I enter in? And he'll say, I don't know you, it's too late. Have you ever seen those superannuation commercials on TV? The one where they're trying to sell you the industry super fund. And they put two blokes sitting, sitting together or they put two, two women together on the same wage and they say, oh, you know, if, you, if this one was in an industry super fund and this one was in a normal commercial fund, you know, after so many years, the one in the industry super fund will have so much more money. So basically what they're trying to tell you is a decision that you make today will have a big impact in the end. It will actually make a big difference to you. And in the sense, this passage is dealing the same way. That's telling us the same story. A decision you make today will have a big impact in the future, in your future. In fact, 
something much more important than building up a superannuation fund, something much more dramatic and more important in your life, in the life of those people around you, is a decision, the spiritual decisions you make today, not the earthly decisions. There is growth in a person. We do change over time. Believe it or not, I won't be the same in five or ten years' time than I am today. And you won't be either. You won't be the same person that you are. And the person you will be in five or ten years' time or fifteen years' time or... God give you more than that, will be determined by the choices you make today and then along the way. So, does Gene, Gene, do you want some more years than that? Was that not enough? There is growth and change in a spiritual person, but this passage is not necessarily referring to that. What it's referring to is the decision you make today will determine your end, your outcome And it's speaking about heaven or hell. It's speaking about eternal life or eternal destruction. This is what this passage is referring to. The door you enter or the gate you enter will determine your eternal destiny. And while some of us who are on the same road experience different things, if if we're on that same path, we, may, we have different experiences throughout our lives, but in the end, the destination will be the same if you are on that particular path. Now, while the world says that there are many roads that lead to God, there are many roads that lead to heaven. You know, most the, the current thinking or the current philosophy is it doesn't matter what religion you're in, as long as you are, are a good person, as long as you do good things to people, you don't kill anyone, you don't... You follow a certain set of, you know, moral or ethical uh, values, then all those roads end up leading to the same place. In fact, the current thinking is that there is one God who goes by many names. Unfortunately, the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible tells us that though there are many roads, there is only one that will reach the destination. Of heaven. In fact, the, the, the Bible says there are only two roads altogether. Look at look at the verses in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It says, Enter ye at the straight gate. Right? For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The two spiritual roads that Jesus speaks about here is a broad way, the one where most people take, and that leads to eternal destruction. And then there is a narrow way, which leads to life, and there are few people that actually find that gate, who actually find it. They never actually, most people don't actually reach that gate, don't even see it in their lives let alone walk through it. The destruction mentioned here is synonymous with hell or the lake of fire where most of the people in this world will end up, unfortunately. The life mentioned in here is eternal life, a life of eternal love and union with God in heaven. And I want you to understand some important points. Remember I said to you that this passage links the gate with the road or with the way. They're always linked. If it's a straight gate, now straight doesn't mean straight as in direct, okay? Straight 
means straight as in straight jacket. You get the impression? Straight as in confined, very narrow. There's, there is that gate, and it says, and it links, it says, uh, wide is a gate and broad is the way. So it links those two things. So the gate is wide and the way is wide, or the road is wide. And the same thing with the narrow gate. The gate is, one gate is narrow, but the road, as soon as you open the gate, it leads to a very narrow road as well. So there's only two roads. The other thing you need to understand about these roads is that they're one way. There's not traffic coming up and down. There's not a two-lane highway. This is a, a one-lane, one-direction road. If you're on the narrow road, you're going to have a certain number of people in front of you and certain behind. You're not going to be walking backwards on this road. Once you're on either road, you will go in the direction of that road. You won't be going backwards. You'll be going forwards. If you're on... Ever been to the, a football game or some huge event and you're lining up in a crowd and you, you're on, a, you know, you're on a, a, a walkway or something like that, what happens generally? You've got people in front of you, people behind, and you end up just walking along with everyone else because you're pushed along with everyone. That's why it's like in this world. Most of the people in this world behave like sheep. Whatever direction the flock takes... If you're in it, the flock, you will generally just follow what everyone else does without thinking about it. But these roads only go in one direction. The other thing is that you today are on one of these roads. You are either on the road to destruction or you are either on the narrow road. You can't be in both. You, are, you can't be flicking around from one to the other. It doesn't work that way. You are either on one or the other. The other thing you don't know, or you may, or you, you, you may know, is how far down that road you've actually gone. If you're on the road to destruction, you don't know if the next minute you'll be stepping off over the edge. You don't know that. The ones who are on the narrow path don't know how far along the narrow path they've actually gone. They don't know if their next breath may be their last. So the thing we don't know generally is how far we've gone up that road. But we may know which road we're on. Let me tell you something else. The narrow road comes off the wide road. The narrow road comes off the wide road. Now, there's not, I don't believe there, there is a gate and then a narrow gate and a wide gate and people look at those two and say, oh, mm, let me think which one I'm on. No. The Bible says that everyone has gone through the wide gate already. Everyone is already on the wide road. That's why the Lord says that there be few that find the narrow gate. It's not an option that people have straight away. Most people are on, the, are on the wide road, have already entered through the wide gate. And what they have to then do is, while they're on the wide gate, look for that detour, that, that narrow gate which leads them to life so they get off that wide road. The Bible teaches that everyone is a sinner. The Bible teaches that everyone has broken God's laws 
and he's on that wide road during their life. So it's the narrow gate which must be found in our lives and it must be chosen and then walked through. The next thing is you can only make one change in your life. One. Everyone's on that wide road. But you will only have, in a sense, one life to make the opportunity to change the road that you're on and you will only have that once. You will not go from the wide road to the narrow road and then go back to the wide road and then go back to the narrow road. It doesn't work like that. You see, those roads lead either to destruction or lead to eternal life. If you enter through the door, if you enter through a particular gate, and everyone goes through the wide gate first, if you enter through the narrow gate, and which leads the Bible says to life, you will stay on that road. Scripture guarantees it. That once you've entered into that road and gone through that gate, you will find life and life eternal. So there's only one change you can make in your life. This illustration has nothing to do, as some commentators I've read, with trying to stay on the narrow road. It has nothing to do whatsoever. Listen to what it says. Look at Matthew 13. You tell me what you think in your mind as we're reading this, what it's telling us to do. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto eternal life and few there be that find it. What's the instruction here? Not to stay on the narrow road. The only instruction given in this particular, these particular two verses is to find that straight gate, to find the narrow one and get into it. That's the instruction. Find it and enter it. It does not say try to, try to stay on it. It does not, does not say if you have left the narrow road, try to get back on it. It gives no such options because there are no options like that. There is simply one command, to find the gate and enter into it. Because this passage is about getting saved. This passage is about salvation. It's not about your walk. It's all about salvation. And when a person finds the truth and goes through that gate and enters into eternal life and receives eternal life from the Lord, they're on the road to heaven. Once a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, the Bible teaches that they receive salvation. They don't work for it. They don't try to earn it. They don't try to keep it. It's given to them as a gift. Now let's look at why people don't enter this gate. The first one is deception. Deception. Jesus warned that there would be individuals, people who regard themselves as religious leaders, People who see themselves higher than what they are, but are in fact, what the Bible says, wolves in sheep's clothing. He says that, it teaches that these individuals will lead many people astray. In fact, Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day for being those very people. And he tells the lawyers and the scribes, he goes, you yourselves don't enter in. 
He goes, and you restrict or you stop others from entering in as well. He goes, you've taken away the key of knowledge, which is the word of God and the way it's properly meant to be applied. And they did it in a reverse way. So Jesus says that other people can stop you from finding that gate. Other people can stop you from entering that gate. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, he warns, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there are individuals, even in our churches, who are seducers. And they are deceived themselves and they deceive others into going along a path where the Lord says they should not go. The other and more important one that stops a person from finding and entering the straight gate is self. Let me ask you a question. Do people like to be in the in crowd? What's the whole purpose of the in crowd? It's the crowd. People want to be part of the majority. People want to, want to feel as if they belong to the, the greatest voice. Unfortunately, the narrow way means that your company will be few. The reason it's a narrow gate and a narrow road is that there's few people who go through it. And so on your journey on that road, people will not be around you too much. You may find yourself quite lonely because there aren't too many people around you. You may not see too many people on the, ro- on the road that you travel if you choose that narrow gate. To choose the narrow gate means that you travel in an unpopular way. Not a popular way. Not the in way. It means that you travel in an unpopular way. Not only that, but being in the narrow way means that you will probably meet resistance and ridicule from those on the broad way. They won't just leave you be on your narrow way. They will make sure that you hear about it as well. Because people are threatened by other people who don't go along with them. So the natural human instinct, the natural flesh, seeks to attack those who aren't the same. Have you ever been around people who are unsaved and the lifestyle you live? When you say, I don't drink, or I go to church on a Sunday morning, or the way you speak around them. You may not swear, but they may swear around you. The moment they pick up that you don't swear, you don't drink, you go to church on Sunday morning, does it make them feel comfortable? No, it doesn't. There's a reason for that. Because it threatens them. It threatens them. They automatically... I know, because I used to be unsaved at one stage. When someone used to come to me, and, and, and I used to be swearing or whatever else it is, and then someone who was saved, who didn't swear, said something about possibly my swearing, I would get defensive. Why would I get defensive? It was wrong anyway. Only because I want to protect my own lifestyle. They were a threat to me. So understand that when you're in the minority, when, you've, when you're the one travelling down that narrow path, you will be resisted and ridiculed for being on that path. Mm-hmm. 
The problem is that most people don't go through the narrow gate because they themselves fear the opinions of others. Most people don't go through the narrow gate because they're with the crowd and, you know something? Oh, I've seen that narrow gate over there. I think I'm going to go, over, going to, I'm going to go through that gate. And the majority will say every time, what are you doing? Don't go. So most people will not find or choose that narrow gate to go through because they're more worried about the opinions of their friends, their family, and of, general, of men in general and of society, rather than the opinion of God himself and their own eternal salvation. They fear the opinions of men rather than of God. They spend their lives doing those things which they believe will gain them acceptance of other people. They live in bondage to popularity. They live in bondage to everyone around them and what what's social norms dictate. The problem is that this fear of wanting to be accepted by men is actually masked by something, and it's human pride. The reason people fear other people's opinions, which stops them from actually making the right choice, is that they're full of pride. And you might say, well, how does pride and fear go together? Well, pride is the very thing that will keep most people out of heaven and is the one thing that got Satan exiled from it. Pride. People struggle to enter into that narrow gate because it bruises their self-esteem. It doesn't lift me up. It doesn't stroke my ego. To enter into that gate, that narrow gate, means I have to admit that I can't carry anything in myself. There is nothing that I've good that I can carry in and say, look at me and look at what I've done. Because the gate's too narrow for me to be dragging any, any of my, my wonderful accomplishments through. You must simply come believing in the gift of salvation. The one that's offered through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Hang on a sec, but if I can't do anything to save myself or even stay saved, what about me? Where does that leave me as a person? Well, the truth of the matter is, if you're about to enter into that gate, if you find that gate and you choose to enter into that gate, you need to leave yourself at that door. All your accomplishments, all your goodness, perceived, and I'll put that in, uh, in inverted commas, you need to leave it there. There is nothing you can bring with you that will add to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done already. The reason is, and the reason people struggle to enter that gate is because pride causes men to change the gospel. They change it. The gospel is very simple. It was actually made, and God made it specifically for the most simple person to be able to, to accept and understand. In fact, Jesus says, if you don't humble yourselves as a little child, you can't enter in. And the reason is that men love to complicate things. And when they complicate things, what they like to do is actually include themselves in the whole equation. That's what we call religion. Religion is fantastic. Fantastic man-made invention. You know when people say to you, religion's man-made? Agree with them. Because it is. Religion is a man-made concept. And what it is, it takes something that's simple that God has made 
and, it, and they actually complicate it so there are all these rules and regulations and, and things that people have to do and things they carry in and, and things that build up their own sense of self-worth. Pride causes men to create religion as a way of proving that they are worthy to enter into heaven by their efforts. Because religion does it every time. Regardless of what religion you choose in this world, it will always say the same thing. It will say that if you try hard enough, if you do good enough works, if you follow a certain number of rules, God will look at what you have done and then will determine whether you're good enough to get into heaven. And the scriptures tell us something exactly opposite to that. Scriptures say it doesn't matter how good you think you are, whether you've sacrificed your life, whether you've given, given away everything to the poor, you will never be good enough. That's the difference between religion and Christ. And Jesus warns his hearers of, the, of these traps, interestingly, in the rest of this passage, I follow it. Look at, look at Matthew 7, verse 15. Notice what, notice what I've just told you, okay, that why people stop getting into that gate. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Who's them? False prophets. People who are seducers, deceivers, deceive themselves, who create their own religion, who take the truth of God, mix it up with something else, and then attempt to sell that to other people, raising themselves up as spiritual leaders. So Jesus warns about people who will lead you astray. And Jesus warns that there will be many false prophets which will lead many astray. They will look like believers. They will seem as if they know the Bible, but their fruits will show otherwise. Jesus warns to keep a lookout for them. And then it goes on in verse 21 and it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many go through the, the wide road. And Jesus here says, many will say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these wonderful works for you? Do you think those two are generally, do you think there's some intersection between those two many's? Of course there are. There are people who proclaim the name of Jesus, who say they do good works in his name and even go out doing them. And then in the end, the Lord will say, I never knew you. You never entered into that narrow gate, that straight gate. You stayed on the broad way. You never did the will of my father. So many people will be masquerading as believers on a broad road, which will in turn lead more astray. You know, one of the... The biggest reason that people say they don't go to church anymore? The big H word. 
Too many hypocrites. <clears throat> okay. It could be because these many people who are masquerading as Christians in the midst of genuine Christians are causing other people to fall away or not to choose that gate. They play the religious game. They enter into the ceremony. They even perform miraculous works, as it says here in the scripture. But they are driven by their own pride and they refuse to enter the narrow gate on God's terms, God's will. And they end up stuck in a broad way. And Jesus says, I never knew you. He doesn't say that they entered into the narrow gate and then he knew them at some time, but they left him. He says, I never knew you. You've never done it my way. You've never entered into my road. The most sobering thought in this passage that we've read is that many, many will go to hell. Many will stay on that wide road that leads to destruction. It's not only our duty to ourselves, to our families, to God, to enter into that narrow gate. But once we have an once we have, we have an obligation to warn others also about the road that they're on. Will this make you popular? No, it won't. Will people want to hear this? No, they won't. But this is why the road that leads to life is narrow. Because it's not an easy road. And people who look at that gate, may even come up to that gate and see it, realise that the gate has something about it that will cause them to lose what they have on the earth. And they can't afford to lose that and, and exchange it for something else that God is willing to give them. The reason it's so narrow, this road, the reason it's so narrow is that few, so few feet have actually trodden the path and worn it down. The other one's so wide is because so many people have walked down that path and they've worn down that road. If it was easy, if it was easy just to go there and, and, and step right in, Jesus would not have warned us to find it. There are countless millions who will never find the narrow gate leading away from destruction. But you know what a worse shame is? The worst shame is for those who have actually got to the gate. They've reached the gate. They've made the effort. They do, this, they do certain things and they're, and they're there right at that gate. But they don't enter in. And they spend their lives sitting at the gate. And they will never take that step. Why, if someone has heard the message, has made the effort to understand the gospel, has benefited from being around others, has even entered into the ceremonies and, and, and going to church, for example, on a weekly basis, they do those things. Don't take that next step and remain lost. Because they refuse to take a step of faith. The worst shame is that someone who dies just outside that gate 
is as lost as someone who is a million miles away from it. When God was destroying the world and he chose to save a family in an ark, the person that was standing just outside the door of that ark was as lost and was as dead as someone who was nowhere near the ark. And the worst shame would be if a person reaches that gate and never enters in. Unfortunately, there are many people in our society and throughout, throughout history who have not just found the gate, but they form a religion about the gate. They celebrate the gate. They camp outside the gate. They, they, they talk about the gate. They perform all types of things around the gate. They may build a beautiful arch around the gate and tell everyone, look at this beautiful gate, but they never enter into it themselves. They publicly agree with Christianity. They endorse it. They go to its meetings. But they never actually enter the gate. Their own pride stops them from receiving the gift of eternal life. They refuse because they understand or they think in their minds that either God won't accept them or it's too easy. It can't be that easy for God just to give me eternal life. I have to work for it somehow. But somehow their works have to be included in this thing but you can't go in with your own works that's why they stay outside the gate don't be fooled find the gate and enter into it because your own works will never save you your friends won't be around to help you when you've died and understand that the justice of God is much more demanding than the justice of men and if in the end you want to have the you want to be weighed in the balance of God's justice, you will always be found wanting. Always. The way of life requires effort and we must find it. The narrow gate is there to be found for those who will seek it. There is a way to find the gate. If you go back to verse 7 in chapter 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek. And you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. There are two ways to deal with any challenge in life. One is to avoid the problem like most men do when they find out they're sick or there's something wrong with them. Hoping it'll go away. Alright? Men, come on, agree with me because I know most of you are the same. One way is to avoid the... Eddie... One way when you have a problem or a challenge in your life is to avoid it and hope it will just go away. The other one is to look at it, face it, understand it and make a choice and then act on that choice. Being awakened to the truth of God should push, push a person to do what? Should push a person to action. Once you discover the truth, you should do something about it. If, for example, you discovered that while you're in your bed 
A fire was raging in your home. Would you not do something about it? Or would you just simply go back to sleep? No. That knowledge you've just gained should cause you to action. So it is with the gospel of Christ. It's like an alarm bell that rings throughout the whole earth. That something is on fire here. And that people need to be saved from that fire. And this is a fire that can't be quenched. It doesn't go out. And the result of sleeping on means certain death. Waking up is not salvation. A man may know he's a sinner, but may never be saved. A man may know the truth of the gospel and never accept it for himself. A man may go to church and do all the works. They may pray. They may read their Bible. They may go to church regularly. They may give to the poor. They may be involved in the discipleship programs or whatever. They may know all that and still not be saved. But if you knew how close freedom was, you would simply take reach, reach out and take it. Because God says, here it is. Take it. It's men that complicate things. The work of Jesus Christ is God has made it there for the taking, not there for the earning. Turn to John chapter 14, verse 6 with me. explain to you what, where this gate is. Look at John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And he shall go in and out and find pasture. Salvation lies in Jesus alone, who is all sufficient for all of your needs. You want to go to heaven? Just look to him. He's the door. He's the way. There is no salvation outside of him. Christianity is not a set of rules and, and regulations and, and duties that a person must, must perform. Christianity is about Christ. He, it's all about him. Everything else is bells and whistles that go along with him. He is the focus. You cannot take him out of the equation and expect to be saved and expect to have Christianity. As Spurgeon puts it, to, to take Christ out of Christianity, to take the salvation message out of the gospel and turn it into what, what today is happening is a social gospel, to do that is like taking flour out of bread. You've got nothing left. The whole foundation of Christianity is Christ. It's him. He is our door. He is our way. Outside of him, there is no other way to the Father. And the beautiful thing about it is he is all sufficient for our way. 
Everything that he has done, everything that he is and who he is, is sufficient for everything that I need for my eternal security. God named his only son Jesus. You know why? Because Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. His name means that he will save people from their sins. His very name means that. If there were any other way beside the cross and the suffering and the shame that went with it, would God have subjected his only begotten son to it? Would you have? If there was another way, would God, would God have done it? That was the way. And to ignore that way, a person does it at their own peril. When Jesus declared that it was finished on the cross, he was declaring that the price had been fully paid. The work had been done and nothing now could be added to it. The perfect justice of God had been fully satisfied. There is no feeling that I can add. There is no work that I can contribute to the finished work of Jesus Christ. To imagine adding something to the finished work of Jesus is like adding a filthy rag to a beautiful suit. It doesn't work. Consider this. If God in his word says that if you add or take away anything from the words that, are, that he has given in the Bible come with curses from God. What about adding to the work of his only son? What about adding to him as a person that we think we can add something to him? He himself is the way. Not some creed or religion, not good works or a lifestyle. None of these can save or even add the minutest detail to what we find in Jesus Christ. We cannot, as lost individuals, add to the road of salvation. This is why the sinner has to come to the Lord empty-handed. Because if you're carrying stuff yourself and you think that you can actually bring good stuff to God and say, look at what I've done, God, you can't take hold of eternal life. If you come to that gate fully loaded with your own goodness, you can't open that gate. You need to drop everything. And then you can open the gate and walk through. Empty-handed sinners can have it all. If I drop everything that I am and receive everything that he is, I can have it all. But as soon as I begin to bring something into him, as soon as I think that I've actually got something worthwhile to, to contribute to this whole thing, then all of a sudden I can't grasp him. That's why the gate is straight. That's why the road is narrow. The door is there. But unless you enter into that door, you cannot be saved. Thinking about it will not save you. Beating yourself up about it will not save you. Believing in the plan will not save you. It's all about Jesus Christ and him alone. So you need to choose him as your Lord and Saviour. 
The Bible simply teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Nothing more complicated than that. We can liken the entering of the gate to accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And travelling down that road is with him. As hard as that road may be, as narrow as it is, and sometimes you'll be forsaken by everyone else around you, you have him. And he's all you need to enter in and to keep you on that road. Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For his sake. Not for our sakes. You don't lose your life for your own sake. You lose it for him. And for his life. That's why people don't go through the narrow gate. Because I have to lose what I am to gain him. And it's too hard for most people. That's why the road, road of destruction is broad. Because pride restricts a man from coming to God in this way. The gospel is simple, but not necessarily easy. Because we're so racked with sin and so wanting to, be, to please everyone else around us that too many people don't go that way. But will you allow your stubborn pride to cause you an eternity of grief? The worth of it. Are you saved this morning? Have you entered the narrow gate? Do you know for sure that you are on that narrow road? Because if you don't, make sure this morning you can know. If you don't think you're on the, on the, the, on the narrow path or you're not sure you've entered that narrow gate, the good possibility is you're still on that wide road and you haven't found it. And this morning, the narrow gate has been presented to you, the straight gate. I pray by the Spirit of God that you've actually seen it. That you now know it. But don't camp outside of it. Don't sit there and rejoice in that gate without walking through yourself. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll just close with this, um, with this passage. So I want you to understand what Christ has done for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Read with me. This is, this is an incredible passage of Scripture that explains what salvation is all about. And it says here in verse 1, And you, he's talking about the ones who have walked through that gate, you hath he quickened, which means he's brought you to life, he's given you new life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, that wide road. They walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had, we all had our conversation. That was our lifestyle. We were on that wide road together, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath. We were on that road to destruction, even as others. But, the Bible tells us, God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that an incredible scripture? That's incredible. There's a gospel. The gospel's built into that thing and it gives you so much more. Is Jesus your sole trust this morning? Have you put your trust in him to save you from your sins? Have you accepted him, received him as your Lord and Saviour? If you have, you've stepped through that gate. And God bless you. If you haven't this morning, let me guarantee you that you're still on the wide road, going along with everyone else. And at the end of that road, there are flames. There is a glow of flames. And you, whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow, or whether it's in a month or a year, will eventually reach those flames. And there's no turning back. It's a one-way street. So this morning, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Don't sit outside the gate. Don't think about the gate. Go through the gate. Find it and enter into it. Don't delay anymore. If you'd like to accept Jesus, your Lord and Saviour, this morning, if you don't know him but are thinking to yourself, he's right. Pastor Frank is actually saying something right for a change. I need to go through that narrow gate. Will you pray with me this morning? Follow me in prayer. I'll pray. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour this morning, if you don't know, if you're not sure, pray with me. So you can be sure. And if you do pray with me this morning, let me know about it after. Because we do want to rejoice with you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust every syllable in it. And Father, we thank you this morning that you were willing to send your only son to this earth to pay the penalty of our sins. Father, I understand that I am a sinner. I understand that I am on the wide road to destruction. But I also understand that you have provided a way of escape for me. And that is in your only begotten Son. This morning, Father, I choose to repent of my sins. I choose to leave that, that wide road and enter in through that small gate, the narrow one. I choose to accept Jesus as my Saviour to receive him as my Lord. I thank you for that narrow road and I pray that I can walk along that road faithfully each and every day. I pray that your spirit would dwell within me and would empower me to live a life that's honouring to you. 
And I thank you that I now have Jesus as my companion along the way. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for Jesus, my Saviour. I pray these things in his precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.